Hi, I'm Antonia, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Micah, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Jane, I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Savannah, a student midwife. Hi, I'm Lucy, and I'm a midwifery support worker. Hello, my name's Golbano, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Abby, and I'm a birth centre midwife. Hi, I'm Gemma Murphy. Welcome along to our May episode where I am focusing on the RCM as a trade union and how the RCM is currently standing up and fighting for its members. If you're an activist, well, this is the episode for you. If you're not an activist and just want to know more about what the RCM is doing to support you in the workplace, this is also the episode for you. Learn more about what your trade union is doing to better support you. I'll also be catching up with RCM activist Shaney Woodbridge from Bristol. Do you know, I never realised there was a name for it. For, <laughs> I've always been this way. I've always, I think you have kind of a moral compass when you know when things are right or wrong. And sometimes it's that injustice that you just can't let go. It, it kind of, you know things are wrong and actually they shouldn't be like that because you're trying to make it better for everybody. So um, yeah, I didn't realise throughout my whole life I've been an activist but I didn't realise like I said there was a name. And you can hear more from Shaney later in the episode on why she and her colleagues will be joining the RCM at the TUC's rally in London on the 18th of June and we've got lots of advice for anyone who is willing or eager to attend. Shaney will also share more about her career as a midwife and her role as an RCM rep. Also on this episode, I'll be joined by Emma Barr, the RCM's events advisor, for more on the upcoming activist conference and other RCM events not to be missed. More information about what goes on behind the scenes in preparation for these big events at the RCM. It's a jam-packed episode, so let's jump right in and check in with Suzanne Tyler, RCM's newly appointed executive director, Trade Union. joined by Suzanne Tyler. Now Suzanne, the last time you were on the podcast, which was last year, you were in a very long-standing role as the Executive Director for Services to Members, but now you've recently been appointed as the Executive Director of Trade Union for the RCM. What's changed besides the title? Well, thank, thanks for having me back on, Gemma. Yeah, it's a big change. What we've done is we've brought the two halves of the RCM trade union together. So in the past, I looked after all of the services to members, so our regional services, our representation, our organising, and John Skews looked after our national negotiations and our influencing. John has retired after 23 years at the RCM, and we've used that as an opportunity to really look how we strengthen the trade union by bringing those two halves together so that our national voice and our local influence are always lockstep together. It does seem like things are stronger than ever for us as a trade union. In terms of the new roles that you've brought into this team, Suzanne, can you expand on what they are for those who might not be aware? Yeah, so we really need to to invest in the trade union because standing up for members, showing that we've got members' backs, being able to be in all of the forums where we can influence is so important. So I'm delighted that Alice Sorby, who many of our members will know very well, has been promoted into the role of our lead negotiator. And at the same time, I've brought in Lynn Collins from the TUC. Lynn is a lifelong trade union activist who's got experience at all sorts of campaigning with a big and a small p political level. And she brings in 
and a wealth of organising. Then I've also just appointed to a head of equality, diversity and inclusion. That's Jane Beckway, a midwife from uh, London, who's been working with us on Race Matters for the last year. And that really signals our commitment to be a trade union that puts equality and diversity for all of our members across all the protected characteristics and against all the things that midwives can face and MSWs can face. So putting equality at the heart of everything we do. I mean, it's such good news because really at the moment that is at the heart of everything we do. And I have to say, Alice has been on the podcast before and now as Director for Employment Relations, I think pay negotiations are really safe with her. And I had the pleasure of meeting Lynn Collins in London a few weeks ago. And I have to say her energy and her trade union knowledge is astounding. So I'm really looking forward to working with her as well. It's exciting times. It is. And, you know, the RCM punches above its weight. We're a small trade union and and I now sit on the TUC council where all the big trade unions sit. And it's really evident that we are held in great esteem there. And I think the biggest mark of that, and I know we're going to come on to talk about it later, but I'm going to say it now because I'm so excited about it. (laughs) The biggest mark of the esteem that the RCM is held in is that Jill Walton, our chief exec, has been asked to join Francis O'Grady on the podium on the 18th of June, March. Not all trade unions will be there. We're there because we are seen as a strong, vibrant, progressive trade union. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. And I I can't wait for that day. And we'll get on to how members can get involved and come along and join us on the streets in London for the TUC's rally on the 18th of June shortly. But first, we're talking about representing and fighting and standing up for members, Suzanne. What's the key work of late for the trade union side of the RCM, the real priorities? Yeah, well, this bringing the two sides of the organisation together has also given us an opportunity to look at what is it that we need to do to make sure that we give the best trade union service possible to our members. And I think there are five priority areas that we've identified. The first I'm going to say in shorthand is we're calling Ockenden. But actually, I think what I mean there is the fact that our members are under unbearable scrutiny and the safety agenda is putting huge pressures on the way they work and the way that they are being held to account and the level of attention that they're under. And we've got to make sure that our members are protected in all of this scrutiny. Absolutely. The second thing, of course, is pay. Um, and we'll, we, you've talked to Alice about that before. We can talk about that again. But, you know, the midwives and MSWs deserve a decent pay deal. And that links to our next priority, which is workforce. The latest government statistics are that there are now 485 fewer midwives working in the NHS than there were a year ago. Shocking. This means that midwife numbers are going down month on month. And if you couple that with safety, we all know, every midwife and MSW knows that it's staffing that leads to safety. So this is a horrible, toxic mix of not enough staff, not enough pay, and then the inevitable consequences for the safety of service. Now, in amongst all of that, 
Our fourth priority is caring for you. We're relaunching caring for you because whilst we definitely want to be holding employers to account to look after their staff, we know that there is so much that as a trade union movement or as a trade union community, whichever way you want to say it, however you feel comfortable about saying, actually, we can do a lot together to make sure that we look after the health and well-being of midwives and MSWs. And then the final priority for us as a trade union, which pulls all of this together, is that we cannot do it alone. You know, we've got an amazing team at the RCM. We've talked about a few of the new people today, but the regional officers and organisers who work tirelessly day in, day out for our members are amazing too. But we can't do it without RCM activists and without members being active. So a big priority for us over the next year is to support, encourage and nurture activism within our members. It doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be standing to be a steward or a health and safety rep, although that is fantastic. But getting involved in whatever way you can as an RCM member strengthens us as a trade union. And so we want to work on supporting that and making that easier to do, more fulfilling to do, more rewarding to do. You know, you're so right. Activists are so crucial to the work that the RCM does. They are the backbone of our trade union. And later in the episode, I'll be chatting to an RCM activist from Bristol who will give us some insight on the role and how she got involved and why she loves it so much. Because a lot of our activists really love what they do, representing the RCM and members. They absolutely do. I, I, I was so delighted to read in this month's Midwives magazine those pe- those those features on all of those different RCM activists. And I'm so glad that you're talking to, to one later on the podcast because it is so fulfilling. Uh, it's so rewarding. It's uh, it's actually something that is really career enhancing. There are many, many RCM activists who've gone on to become more have more senior roles within midwifery and outside of midwifery so it's a there's a lot of skills that you gain but most of all we can't we are nothing without our members doing these things you know I often use the analogy that a trade union is not a vending machine you don't just put money in and take something out again it's actually it's actually a network of people who are there for each other, who are united with a, a common aim and a common purpose, and that we all work together to make things better for midwives and MSWs. I'm so glad that you mentioned the, the you know, the profile, how we've raised the profile and highlighted the various, there's so many different types of roles in terms of becoming an activist, and they are in this month's magazine, the latest edition of the magazine. If you haven't opened your magazine yet, you'll find it on page 41. And actually, I was reading through them during the week, Suzanne, and it's actually a great reminder of how many ways that you can get involved in the RCM. You know, you might want to be a learning rep or a health and safety steward. There's so many different roles. That's right. And I think that some of those roles that are not traditional or they're not the ones that people have ever ever thought of before, but learning reps, so important. If you've got any interest in supporting or mentor and mentoring students or newly qualified midwives, then becoming a learning rep is a fabulous opportunity for you. And of course, with all of those roles, we provide training, we provide development opportunities, and we provide ongoing support. Those traditional roles of being a steward and being a health and safety rep 
You get protected time off of work to do those roles. And that means that you can sit around the table with trust and hospital management when the important decisions are being made that are going to impact on our members. So crucial. Now, you mentioned pay, and I I have to mention it because, Suzanne, it's been a big battle for the RCM. The Deliver a Decent Deal campaign continues. It's rumbling on. And at the moment, we're kind of in this strange interim period, aren't we, where we're waiting for the NHS pay review body to come back with their recommendation. We are. And, you know, it's hugely frustrating because actually Sajid Javid could have sorted this out for months ago by delivering a a decent deal. He could have signalled that actually the shortages of midwives, which are mirrored around shortages uh, uh, in other parts of the NHS, had to be met with a a inflation-busting pay rise that was going to make good on the cuts that, that NHS staff have faced over so many years. And yet he has refused to do that. They, the government were late getting in their evidence to the pay review body. And now we have to wait for the pay, pay review body's report to come out. And so it's really important that in this interim period, in this quiet period, we maintain the pressure. We make sure that every Conservative MP, every Conservative councillor knows that midwives and MSWs can't take any more, that they are taking jobs in supermarkets because that pays better, that they are using food banks, that they are working more and more shifts, and that that is having an impact on whether or not they even want to stay in the profession. We know that vacancy rates are rising. We know that people are leaving. And without that decent pay rise, that situation is only going to get worse. Our message is really strong and we stand with all of the other trade unions on this. Enough is enough. And the people who work in the NHS, our members, midwives and MSWs deserve better. They absolutely do. And this is one of the many reasons, Suzanne, the RCM, like we've said, is taking to the streets and joining the TUC's rally on June 18th. And so many members have signed up already. Yes, public displays like this make a difference. Turning out on a Saturday, walking the streets of London, going to a rally, showing our strength of numbers really make a difference. And so we've, we're have we organising it. We've got flags. We've got T-shirts. We will be visible. And, you know, whenever I've been on rallies, there are always people going, oh, my goodness, it's midwives and MSWs are out there. <laughs> we get a lot of love when we do these things because people respect midwives and MSWs so much. So we're really encouraging branches to support their members in attending. That's what we that's what branch funds are for, is to support union activism. Get on the bus, get on the train, get on a coach and come down to London and join us on the streets, really signalling that we are angry. We are justifiably angry, but we have hope that we can make things better. Absolutely. And there's strength in numbers, like you say, and there will be other, not only healthcare workers, but other public sector workers on this demonstration. And it's it's going to run into thousands of people. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of news coverage as well of the day. Yeah, the more people there are, you know, the more of those banners, the better the uh, publicity, the better the media coverage, and the more pressure we heap on the government. 
So if you are listening and you haven't heard about the RCM's involvement in the TUC rally, please get onto our website now where you'll find all the details and do talk to your colleagues and other members of your of your local branch about how you can get there. And the RCM will support you through branch funds. Suzanne, it's an exciting time, but it's a challenging time. But I feel quite confident after talking to you that we're fighting the good fight. We're fighting the good fight. We're all in it together. And I think the other thing I just finish on saying, Gemma, is, you know, we're coming out of a period where for two years, the trade union team, we've been unable to get out and see our members. That is now ending as hospitals end their restrictions. So now is the time for members to be inviting me and Alice and Lynn and Jane and the whole of our trade union team. Invite us to come and see you. Let's talk to your branch. Let's talk to members and let's get this spirit of community, of collective action going, because if we stand together, we will win. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And if people do want to get in touch with you or the team, they they can also contact us via social media, can't they? Drop us a message and say, please come and talk at our next branch meeting. Absolutely. Just waiting to hear from people. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks, Gemma. Now, Shaney Woodbridge is a midwife, a joint union secretary for her trust and an RCM branch chair. So it's fair to say she's an activist at her very core. But before we dive into all of that, a big hello, Shaney, and thanks a million for coming on the podcast. Hi, Gemma. Thanks very much for having me. I have to mention, before we pull apart your midwifery career and your role as an RCM activist, I feel it's only right that I mention that on International Women's Day, most recently, you were listed as one of the 137 most influential women by Bristol Live. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, that, w- that was really nice, really sweet of them to um, to recognise some of the stuff I've been doing. But to be honest, it's no different to anybody else. It's just... I was around, I could do the the interview for them. So, um, you know, I think that's that's where that is, really. It, it's the same as everybody. People juggling work with home life and looking after kids and different care and responsibilities. You know, I think all women are amazing. So, I, I think you were the only midwife on the list, to be fair, though. I ran through the entire list when I was... Oh, wow, did you? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't and actually there was, look. There was a lot of brilliant women on there, really strong and powerful women, but you were oh. midwives, so you were flying the flag for midwives everywhere. Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so speaking of being a midwife, how long have you been a midwife and, and when and why did you decide to become one? Uh, well, I qualified in 2011 and um, I decided that I wanted to be a midwife when I was actually having my first child, just being with a midwife, seeing what they do. I absolutely loved my appointments. I wanted to stay and help them all day, just make tea and coffee. I didn't mind. I just wanted to hang around in the clinic. So, um, yeah, so that was my first child. I was now 25 years old. So um, it took me a while to, to get to do it because I then had another child and, and all those kind of life things that happen. But yes, I've been wanting to do it for a long time. And it's it's a really hard course. It's really tough going. It's three years, full-time uni and working on top. But you've, if you've got that passion for it, then it is, it's a bit easier because actually you just really enjoy what you're doing. I can imagine as well, difficult and a challenge when you've got children and parenting responsibilities. It was re- really tough because actually at the time, my husband went and worked in Germany for three years for for um, an organisation there. So I was left at home with the kids 
So we we hired an au pair from overseas, from Turkey she was, and uh, that worked out better actually for me than trying to worry about the childcare, the school runs, all those things, especially yeah. when you work in night shifts and stuff with, you know, trying to work in with your partners, work is quite difficult. So to have somebody there for just supporting me to look after the kids was a godsend. Yeah, it sounds like a really helpful solution at the time. So obviously this podcast is all about the RCM as a trade union and the RCM's activist. You are well and truly an activist to your very core as the joint union secretary for your trust and your local, well, your your trust RCM branch chair. So how did you get into becoming an activist? Do you know, I never realised there was a name for it. For, <laughs> I've always been this way. I've always, I think it's, um, you have kind of a moral compass when you know when things are right or wrong. And sometimes it's that injustice that you just can't let go. It, it kind of, you know, things are wrong and actually they shouldn't be like that because you're trying to make it better for everybody. So, um, yeah, I didn't realise throughout my whole life I've been an activist but I didn't realise like I said there was a name so in 2014 the trust I was working at I'm working at now somebody in the RCM approached me and asked if I would be interested so I went along to a branch meeting and I spoke to another one of the reps and just got a little bit more information about what it would actually mean to be in the RCM and be an activist and I thought yeah okay let's give this a go so a lot of the time in the beginning, especially, it felt quite like there was an imposter syndrome. That I didn't really know what I was doing, you know, that I was just going along and trying to support people to the best that I could. But actually, there's nothing really magical in it. If you can tell when people are not being treated very fairly or when things are wrong and things need to improve. So that's that's really how I how I do all my my work is just around that moral compass of supporting people like you support women in in labor and birth and things like that and through their pregnancy it's just supporting midwives to support women so it's just a sort of a step away from being a midwife I suppose that's that's a really nice way to look at it you're speaking about your colleagues and other midwives that you work with what's the mood and morale amongst your colleagues at the moment like well, do you know, people feel just a bit flat and it's a real shame. You've got that passion for when you work. So I, I'm full-time trade union now, but I do still pick up clinical shifts and I love it. I love being around women. I love the feeling that I get at the end, end of my shift that I'm, I go home and I think, do you know what? I've made a difference today or I've really helped somebody. You know, I've really, it gives you, is you know, you get something from it too. But I think that's what keeps people going is because they know that they, they can make a difference. But actually, it takes a bit of a personal toll on them. And I think some people are really struggling at the moment, feeling quite low in their mood. The acuity in the unit is very high. The workload is is sort of hard going. And it's quite common now to miss a break. In fact, it feels like you've had a really good shift if you get a break. Most people just assume that they won't get a break that day, which is really sad. So I'm, I'm trying to work with the trust at the moment to, to re-emphasise the importance around taking a break. So, you know, whether we do a, a sort of a campaign for a week, like a take a break week or something, just to, to highlight to people that it is OK to take a break because it's so accepted that you miss your breaks that people then feel a little bit guilty if they take some time out and have some lunch. So, um, yeah, I think if, if you're going in and doing lots of shifts like that day after day after day, then ultimately you'll you'll become quite tired quite quickly. Isn't it really sad? Like it's become the norm. You've just said there that you go on to a shift and you kind of know that you won't get your break and like, or you might not have time to go to the toilet or sufficient hydration breaks. And 
really like really is that a profession you think that people want to work in do, do you see people coming into the profession thinking why why am I here should I just go now I think when you see newly qualified midwives start, they've got such enthusiasm and such zest. You know, they've they realised the dream that they wanted to do maybe, maybe for many years. So they're really happy to be in work. And, and I think then, you know, you can see the midwives that have been around for a few years because they're the ones that are, are quite tired with just what's expected of them every day. So the organisation does try to do a lot of stuff. In fact, we've got a wellbeing festival on Monday and Tuesday next week. So we've got um, a thing for the midwives and I've got a stand there for the RCM and I've got some little goodies to give away and some soaps and some lip balms and different things, you know, that people can just, just some sort of like caring for people. But I think it's really hard because it becomes so ingrained that even sometimes when the organisation do try and remind people, they're just so busy and they're so worried about making a mistake or missing something that they they put everything goes personally it takes just a big toll on them I know that at the end of a 12-hour shift when I get home I don't want to say anything to anybody (laughs) I want to just walk in the door I don't want to speak to anybody I want to be left alone I'll have a shower I'll have a drink and then I'll just think right okay now I feel like I'm able to speak because at the end of 12 hours I'm so tired of the amount of lists I write on my shifts to make sure that I'm covering everything and sometimes you just need five minutes out to yourself so I think um, you know it does affect people's home lives as well. Well I can imagine it's quite draining and like you said you just need that time when you come in to decompress but often for for a lot of people it won't always be there because they'll have caring or parenting responsibilities. Yeah I'm lucky now my children are older so they know <laughs> they know that when I come home just leave mum she's fine just let her go and get showered and chill out and then yeah it's fine then I can talk but for a while I just need I just need some time out. You need your own time. So I like the fact that you're doing a well-being day or a couple of days next week because it's the small little touches, like you said, just reminding people to take their breaks, little lip balm, some chocolate. Yeah. Um, that's really important, isn't it? And I guess that'll give you an opportunity for, for colleagues to come together, drop in and have a chat with each other as well. Yeah, so we've got a couple of days and different stores there. So the Employee Assistance Programme will be there, PMAs, the um, Professional Midwifery Advocates will be there, I'll be there. There'll be a couple of other stores there. And so they're, they're doing other things as well, like yoga lattes, I think it's called. Something, something like a cross between yoga and lattes. <laughs> They've got something about sustainability and travelling to work and Dr. Bike will be there and just different things really to, to help people. And I think the managers have said as well that they're going to make sure they relieve the midwives on the wards and things so, so they've got time to come and have a look at, at the stuff that's on offer over those couple of days brilliant you know we'll, we'll move on to because it it's a whole storm of factors isn't it understaffing and, and stress and burnout are affecting many people right across the UK but actually do you think pay you know it's it's kind of an obvious question but do you think pay and particularly the three percent pay award last year was another erosion of of morale amongst midwives and maternity staff Absolutely. And I think it's just insulting, really, not just for maternity staff, but I think the whole of the NHS, the Gender for Change staff, you know, they've been working throughout the pandemic. We've heard it so many times, the clap for carers on a Thursday. I think the the public support is amazing, but it's just not recognised by the government. And I think that's, it's just a little bit insulting, actually, that the pay rate has been so suppressed over the last sort of 10, 11 years. And now with the cost of living crisis being as it is, I know 
have plenty of my colleagues who have had to reach out for the benevolent fund, just sort of like emergency money to tide them over. I know colleagues who are going to food banks. I know that food banks are now starting to give out cold parcels because people can't afford to cook the meals and things like that. So I just think really a lot more needs to be done. And people, to be honest, it might be a bit of an unpopular opinion, but I'm not sure agenda for change is keeping pace with the cost of living anymore. I think that really does need a review you know, because any of the bands, any of the bands really are going to be struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, because that's exactly what was in the RCM's pay claim this year. The focus was on this exponential rise in the cost of living and how members are struggling, but also 10 years, more than a decade now, actually pushing up towards 12, probably of pay restraint, pay just not keeping pace with inflation. And we wait now, don't we, for the PRB to return their recommendation. And let's hope the government doesn't drag it out this year and that they've listened to the RCM and that they award something decent. You just mentioned banding and, and, you know, people have been in different bands. You're doing some work at the moment on, on various jobs, um, job banding. Is that right? Yeah. So band two is band three. So the national profiles were updated in August last year. And it clearly said, says now that band two is for personal care only and a band three can do clinical care. So luckily at the trust where I work in maternity, we don't really have any band twos. Most of our maternity care support workers are band threes. We do have a couple of band twos that are coming in on a pilot, but I've helped the division look at their job descriptions. So we've made sure that actually it fits the national profile. So I know some of the other trade unions who have members across the other parts of the trust are struggling to get that recognition for band twos to be paid for the work that they're doing now because really they're doing a band three role. Um, So that's something that we're working through with the organisation and with our system partners to do like a joint job description for the twos and the threes and just make sure that people are paid properly because we're not talking a big difference between a band two and a band three. It's a couple of thousand pounds a year, you know, so it's not going to be breaking the bank. Actually, it's our lowest paid members of staff and we need to be protecting them and making sure that if the organisation needs them to continue with the clinical care, that's absolutely fine. But then they're paid for that job that they're doing. Yeah, they absolutely need to be paid correctly. Like you said, it's only a couple of, you said it's only a couple of grand a year, but that can make a huge difference to someone. Oh, yeah, and to be honest, I mean, you know, I'm not going to name the supermarkets, but there's supermarkets out, supermarkets out there which pay equivalent to a band four. So why would you really want to come and work in the health service when you could be paid more money for working in a supermarket, which is one of the reasons why I would really like to see a review of Agenda for Change. Or potentially, if the government just gave a, a proper pay award this year, then then it would be keeping with the cost of cost of living. Absolutely. Just when you're talk, comparing it to the average supermarket wage, it's, it's interesting because Keely Barish, who is an MSW and a board member at the RCM, she gave oral oral evidence to the PRB this year, and she spoke about that very fact that some of her colleagues, MSWs in various bands, could actually earn more working in a supermarket. Yeah, absolutely. Where you are more likely to get your break, where you're more likely to finish on time, where you're not necessarily exposed to kind of some of the scenes and and, uh, things that midwives and maternity care support workers will witness on their day to day shifts. Well, you'll have to come back on the podcast and let me know how this job banding <laughs> goes, because I'm sure there's people listening thinking we need to do that at our trust and it most likely should yeah. blueprint. So I would say anybody that's listening would need to have a look at the national role profiles that's on um, NHS employers and it's 
very, very clear. It's black and white, absolutely laid down what band two can do and what band three can do. And so if they find that they're working outside of their band or they know people that are, then to get in touch with their joint union committee at the trust and ask them to take that forward on their behalf. Great advice. Thank you, Shaney, for that. Now, we are ramping up to the TUC's rally, and I guess that demo is the first kind of actual physical demo in a long time. It's happening on the 18th of June. I know that I'll be there along with lots of my RCM colleagues, and we're hoping to get as many members there as well. You and some of the branch are coming along as well. Yeah, so I wrote out to my members and said that if people are interested, then to let me know. And we would look as a branch to put on a coach from the trust or the rest of the joint union committee. So that's another nine or 10 trade unions at the hospital. We could put on joint coaches if we had enough staff from the hospital wanting to go just to get people there, friends and family, the more the better. Um, you know, we'd, we'd open up coaches to anybody that wanted to attend. So I'll, I'll be there on the 18th. Hopefully we'll see you there. We'll have all our yeah. new RCM branding and flags and all that. So you're not going to be able to miss the Royal College of Midwives. That's brilliant. Sure. <laughs> I think it's really important for us to get out and, and you know make our voices heard. It's not after after so long. And there, there is actually when I speak to people, it's a really good way if you're really angry. You know, if you're really angry at, you know, things that are happening to midwifery and like we've been talking about the understaffing, the burnout, the, the pay not keeping up with inflation or the cost of living. This is a really good opportunity to go out and kind of let that all out and let your voice be heard. It's really important people do this because actually this sends a very clear message that we cannot and we will not tolerate this cost of living crisis while the government sit back and continue to allow families to really struggle trying to make ends meet choosing whether to heat their home or to feed their children is just not on it's not where we should be in the UK in 2022 absolutely not Shaney thank you so much for your time I know you're on a day off today so thank you for taking the time on your day off uh, to speak to me on the podcast yeah thanks Gemma What an activist and what a midwife. Big thank you again to Shaney for sharing her story. If you'd like to join me on the podcast and share your story, how you became a midwife, what's it like working as a maternity support worker, the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, anything that you would like to highlight that's happening at your local trust amongst you and your colleagues, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Do drop an email with your name and contact details to media at rcm.org.uk. That's media at rcm.org.uk. Now, Trojan work goes on behind the scenes at the RCM to deliver member events, conferences and webinars. And I'm so delighted to be joined by the person who delivers all of that and does a lot of work unbeknownst to many people behind the scenes. It's Emma Barr, RCM's events advisor. Emma, how are you? I'm all right. Thanks, Gemma. It's lovely to see you today. Thanks for taking the time out to join the podcast for the first time, I might may add as well. Yeah, it is. It is. I finally got you because I know how busy you are. Now, we are going to talk about the upcoming activist conference in a little while. But first of all, just because the pandemic, of course, has changed so much and it's changed a lot for the RCM as well on how we deliver programs and conferences and events to members how has that been for you as the person who oversees all that I think if you'd asked me that like two years ago at this time I would have told you it was I was literally pulling my hair out it was the biggest um 
upskilling I've ever had to do in my life. And I think everyone in the events industry felt the same, you know, virtual events. At that point, it was clunky Zoom and even worse teams. It wasn't there. And then over the course of about three months, they just massively improved. So it was fun. And I it's a part of technology I've loved to be a part of and to see the changes. It's been so exciting. And that sounds very geeky. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've loved it. I've loved working with different people in the RCM to bring uh, together what we have now. And just to see the difference from two years ago to now with how we run events, it's it's been an incredible adventure. And I, I like to think we've brought the members with us. I know it's been quite trying for them, but they've they've embraced it. And our activists in particular have really embraced, you know, getting on board and had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. So like a huge challenge, like you say, for you. And, and most importantly, it is interesting to te- for you to tell me that the members are embracing it because I overheard a conversation. I think it was at a webinar. It was at an online RCM event where someone was in the chat box. I think it was at our conference last year and they were saying, this is fantastic. I'm at home hanging out my washing, but I'm listening to so-and-so at the RCM's conference. And I guess in a way, because it breaks down barriers, doesn't it? You don't have to travel. You don't have the expense of staying overnight. You can just literally bring your laptop and, and join our conferences or events wherever you are in the UK or maybe even abroad if you're a member. Yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely fantastic to uh, to welcome them. I think uh, a bit like you, one of the best comments I ever had was, I think it was the first activist conference. It was someone in Scotland and they literally wrote in the chat, I'm sitting on the beach with my dog and I'm I'm watching Suzanne Tyler talk to me and it was just like you know, we are we are literally across the UK we have people from Jersey and Guernsey we had you know Northern Ireland everyone was tuned into this conference it was the first virtual conference and actually it kind of felt almost closer than all being in the room because you saw their photos and their dogs and their kids and it was wonderful it was so embracing and I think that support has been really beneficial to all of us just to know we're all going through the same thing. We've all had those Wi-Fi issues when you drop out or you get stuck (laughs) and all the rest of it. But I remember I was sitting in London. uh, It was the first time we were allowed to be together. Literally, there was five of us in a room, massive spaces apart. And it was the best day ever. I really, really enjoyed it. And thanks to the members for tuning in for that. It was a great experience. Yeah, and we'll talk about because, you know, in-person events are uh, have made a comeback. We, we haven't turned our back on them. And we'll talk about the upcoming annual conference because I know there's lots of preparation happening for that at the moment. But first of all, and more imminently, Emma, this episode is all about the RCM as a trade union and its activists being the backbone of our trade union activities. Tell me more about the upcoming activist conference. When's, when is it on and how can people get involved and attend? So we really listened to our members over the last couple of years and they were very clear. They loved the virtual event and we were like, yep, we love it too. But they also like we love meeting in person. So for the first time ever, we are going to have a virtual and a live event. So a face-to-face one. The virtual one is on the 30th of June and the face-to-face one is on the 22nd of September. Now, both conferences will have the same topics throughout and they'll have the same speakers There'll be a few tweaks and a few extra bits for one or not the other. And there'll be more videos, obviously, for the virtual because that's just sort of the way it's set up. But they're both going to be fantastic. We've got flexible working. We've got pay, which, as we all know, is a massive thing at the moment. Yes. We've got the wonderful Alice Sorby giving our pay and employment update. And Thompson's are going to be joining us as well to talk. So we've got some really great things. And I'm delighted Lincoln is going to give the keynote. 
the new director of field services will be there. If you've heard her, I think it was about three years ago she came to conference. She was amazing. And she's going to tell all the activists, you know, what to expect from the RCM, what's coming up and how to get more involved with that trade union movement. And it'll be very inspiring, I think. Yeah, of course, Lynn brings a wealth of experience from the TUC, you know, who the RCM are affiliated with. But she's got that real local level organizing experience. So I guess what she's going to be talking about is something that activists will really want to hear. Isn't it fantastic that... Can you go to both if you're an activist? You, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, if you yeah. can come to both, fantastic. We'd love to see you at both. But we also know that, as I said, there's those, you know, on the Orkneys and Shetland and Isle of Man that might not be able to get to the face-to-face. So this will be a chance to come together in a virtual way. It'll be through iLearn. We've got a brand new conference platform through iLearn, which our wonderful Matt Smith, who is our e-learning advisor, is putting together for us. And it's going to be a really great day. The best thing about both conferences is that both you'll have the chance to win 100 pounds for your branch so we're asking all the branches to put forward like an abstract showcasing what they've done in the past year and then all the activists will vote for the best one a couple of years ago our now president Rebecca Davis she won for the uh, Shrewsbury and Telford branch and I think she's so excited to see this happen again we were having a bit of a chat about it a couple of weeks ago and it's such a wonderful thing. Let's tell our members what you guys are doing because it's not us, it's it's you, the activists who are doing it. Absolutely. Now, asking you an obvious question and putting you on the spot here, if I'm an activist and I'm listening and I've never submitted an abstract to an RCM conference, particularly the activist conference, how do I do it? What do I need to do? And is it going to take me forever? No, it's not going to take forever. You know, we're asking for like about 300 words. Just write it on a piece of paper, scan it to us. If, if that's all you can do, take a photograph of it. Hey, if you want to sit there and video yourself on your phone and send me a WhatsApp, do that. We'll accept it in any way. We just want to hear what you guys are doing and we want to tell the members what you're doing. It won't take very long. All we ask is that one of your branch members is there on the day to deliver the live presentation. Amazing. So it can just be short, short and sharp or really snazzy if you've got the time to do that. Yeah, and I guess absolutely. I guess it's sharing, isn't it? So if, I, if I'm a rep and I'm doing great things at my branch, coming to the activist conference, using the activist conference as a platform to share what we're doing is inspiring to other people. And you can share ideas, can't you, from Scotland right down to Wales. There's sharing isn't there amongst members yeah absolutely you know we've seen it a lot I'm going to pick up on Cardiff and Vale branch just because I've worked with them quite a lot they're working closely with other branches in Wales with Caring for You as well and they're sharing the ideas it's it's all about the sharing and helping others get to where they are and we should definitely be encouraging that You've just reminded me because you've mentioned the Cardiff and Vale branch. So I'm going to say that last year I was joined by some fantastic members of that branch on our Caring For You podcast, and they have such inspirational ideas. So if you've got any time, go back, have a listen to our Caring For You podcast, and you can pinch some of their ideas. (laughs) Right, Emma. So just finally, if you want to register to go to the conference, either on the 30th of June, the virtual one, or in-person conference in September, it's all on the website, right? Yeah, everything's on the website. How to enter the competition, obviously, is on the website. But at the end of the day, this is really a celebration about you guys. This is to say thank you for your commitment, your passion, and supporting those members through what has been some of the most difficult times we've lived through. So true. And it's free to attend if you're an RCM member. It's absolutely free to attend. (laughs) 
<laughs> and if you're there face to face, there might even be a glass of bubbles at the end of it. Ooh, that sounds lovely. I have been to an in-person activist conference and it was in 2016, I think. So I'm hoping to make uh, both this year because obviously I do a lot of work on pay and the pay campaign at the RCM. So it'll be nice to come along and meet some members. I might be roaming around with a microphone too. So if you see me, don't be frightened. Emma, while we're talking at All Things Conference, of course, one of the biggest events in the RCM's calendar is our annual conference. Can you give me any information about it? I know it's only May. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose at this point, so just to give you a bit of background, we start planning our conferences literally almost before the other one finishes. So we've been planning this quite a while now, and we are so delighted to be going to the ICC in Wales. We have the sessions. The invitations have gone out to speakers. So we are literally just waiting for the confirmations. And shortly you'll start to see stuff on social media about who's coming. We are delighted to announce a few little bits. So obviously you'll see Jill Walton. You'll see our president, Rebecca Davies, will be there. We'll also be going to have the president of the RCOG, Eddie Morris, is going to be speaking. But all the others, you know, we want to keep a few surprises back. But definitely come along. Students, you've got the most amazing session from your student midwife forum they're putting together now. It will be a continuation of a webinar that was held in January about the decolonization of the midwifery curriculum. So, yeah, we've got we've got a lot going on. It's going to be the most amazing two days. And we're so looking forward to seeing you guys there. And it's in person. And actually, you know what? I was I was going through lots of the IDM events last week in the media office, and I saw that one of the Northern Ireland branches, as part of their IDM celebrations, had a prize draw. And one of the prizes was a trip to the RCM's annual conference, all expenses paid. Isn't that a great idea for a branch? That's amazing. That's <laughs> just what we'd like to see branches doing. You know, put your guys up to come. It's such an amazing experience. And it is free to attend. So, yeah, please, please book and come say hi. We'll be at the RCM stand, all new stand with all new branding. So we are so excited about that. Exciting. You can't miss the purple and tangerine. It's very vibrant. (laughs) On that note, Emma, thank you so much for your time. And let's not leave it so long till you're back on the podcast. (laughs) No, absolutely not. It'd be lovely to speak to you again, Gemma. Take care. Thanks, Emma. That's all for this month. Next month for our June episode, we turn our attention to the Rebirth Project. Have you heard about it? Why is it so important? Here's more from Dr. Julius Rament, who's the Project Research Fellow for Rebirth. The term normal birth is one of the most commonly used words to describe a straightforward labour and birth, and has been in the UK since about the 1990s. It's been central to maternity policy since that time, and it's used every day by midwives and other health professionals who work around birth. We also have other words that we use to describe this same type of birth, such as physiological, straightforward, optimal, and so on. But we've been hearing from service users that sometimes the language they hear professionals use sounds to them difficult. It sounds judgmental or old-fashioned, and one of those is the term normal birth. Juliet is working closely with the RCM's Director for Professional Midwifery, Mary Ross Davy, who you've heard a number of times on this podcast. But this project, the Rebirth Project, is very much a collaborative project. It is bringing together many, many voices, those representing women, groups representing women and other royal colleges and stakeholders. We'll speak to them in next month's episode. Until then, take care.